Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I of course cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show, that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. We are live via Zoom for the first time. Sorry, we are beta testing today. And uh, Julie Shields, Rutina of MIFA has been uh, nice enough to go along with that uh, for us. So we, I do apologize, but yeah, I think we're, so we're recording via Zoom. Wow, it's a miracle. Anyway, <laughs> we should have. We maybe should have figured this one out earlier on, but hey, uh, we, we got there now. So thank you very much, Julie, for being alongside us. Again, Julie, Sh- Julie Shields Rutina from MIFA. We are talking about uh, paying for college here, and we are we finished up sort of the you know the, the saving for college piece. But you did have a few other things that you wanted to catch up on. One was the Baby Steps program, uh, and uh, what was the other one here? Well, well, let me just let you finish that shot, thought before we move on. Sure. I was just thinking about, uh, you know, being holiday time and that I think one of the nice features uh, that's just fun and easy with the 529 plan that you fund is that um, a family can set up a gifting platform, you know, um, and, and create a little uh, picture of their child and maybe put something cute about what their child like wants to be and then have that link to send it around to family and friends, either at birthday time or holiday time, just to say, um, you know, grandma, grandpa, what a, a great gift might be a little contribution into uh, Susan's 529 plan or something. I think, I think sometimes relatives are looking for gift ideas yeah. and that can be a good one. And, you know, we all have enough have had enough plastic toys around our homes. And all. So <laughs> I just like to, it, it's, it, it really works easy uh, and it's nice. And uh, my kids, by the time it was developed, my kids were too old for me to be able to be putting cute pictures out there to, to entice, entice yeah, contributions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a great point about the plastic toy because I, that's <laughs> one of my pet peeves is, okay, we got to go buy some, buy something for someone. And inevitably it turns out something that they're going to play for, for, you know, three to six months, if that, and then, and end up in a uh, probably in a landfill somewhere. So, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't realize that that technology had uh, proceeded to, it proceeded that far. It used to be in the old days you'd have to you know contact the uh, the grandparent and get them a letter and say, okay, well here's the uh, if you want to send a contribution, this is the way that you send it in and stick it in the mail. So it's now it's, it's now so tech savvy that you can just uh, send a link and they follow the link and they throw money right in. Exactly. Well, yeah. Fantastic. 
Uh, all right. So let's go. I think probably I don't think we have anything else to cover on the saving for college side. Maybe we'll we'll zoom back at the end if we have some more time. But um, let's go. Should we should we transition to the application process? Do you do you deal with that or are you mostly on the saving and loan side or do you work with families who are you know going through the application process, which I know can be stressful, obviously? Yes. No, I work a lot with families uh, applying for uh, college and applying for financial aid. And in fact, that's what we're doing at this time of the year. We're spending a lot of time on that. So, yeah, I guess I'll just give a few highlights that uh, when your student is a senior in high school, after October 1st, that's the time you want to do those financial aid applications. And there's a lot of help to do it, but the main form is the FAFSA, which is okay. the free application for federal student aid. And that's that's the main form that all colleges use. You have to use the apply using the FAFSA. Um, okay. And then many, many colleges also have this additional form that's called the CSS profile form, and that's through the college board. And the colleges that use that are, are the colleges that have a lot of their own institutional money. And they feel like they need, it asks more questions than the FAFSA. It delves a little bit deeper into yep. a family's financial situation. And so colleges that have a lot of their own money and colleges do have a lot of institutional funds that they distribute to families every year. They feel like they need more information to be able to do that equitably. So uh, yep. those are the two main, main forms. And we, we have all kinds of now webinars, not in-person presentations um, for families about that whole process. Uh, and I, I guess I'd just add that uh, it's mifa.org slash events where we just list all of our webinars on all of those topics. Oh, wonderful. Okay. Yeah. yeah so yeah, see, the, uh, the FAFSA is uh, overwhelming here. Actually, hey, hey, Cindy, can you hear me? I, I'm I hear myself talking back at myself in, in the studio here. I'm wondering if Cindy can figure out how to turn this speaker down. But anyway, there's a slight delay in what I'm saying, and then I hear myself. Anyway, uh, we'll, we'll work on that. Hopefully, you, you all can't hear that uh, in the feedback. Uh, anyway, so yeah, regarding the FAFSA, you now is the FAFSA, are, are kids applying to college at the same time as the FAFSA or is that, you know, what, what are the dates when we, when we start to really focus on the application process versus the student loan process? And do you need to know where you're going to apply before you decide which of these, uh, which of these two, uh, pro <laughs> profiles to fill out? Oh, all great questions. So yeah, you know, they kind of work simultaneously, but that is that is a number one question we get from families. What do I do first? They're kind of doing it all at the same time. So admissions deadlines for admissions applications um, normally used to be, say, in January or February. But over the last good number of years, maybe even five, um, many, many colleges have put in place a lot of early admissions uh, programs and, and deadlines. So okay. students can apply for admissions at colleges as early as November. Um, and, and many have started to do that. So those admissions deadlines start in November and go all the way through maybe till March. And financial aid deadlines are, are follow a similar path. So if a student is applying early to a certain college, they should also apply for financial aid early. But what, what I really tell families these days is that these both of these forms open on October 1st and the family will be using financial data from a year, a tax year before that's their taxes are already done. So, for example, this year, the families who are applying for their student to go to school next September in 21 are using their 2019 income taxes. So. Okay they really have no reason to delay doing that financial aid. I, I don't want people to panic on October 1st because yep. you're fine. <laughs> but why not, you know, get it, done it already in October, yeah. Yeah. get it done or get it done now. If your students are going to be applying in the spring, you know, in the winter now in these January, February deadlines, just pick a night these days, get a cup of tea and sit down and get these forms done. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, so you can, you can start to fill out the FAFSA even before you've applied to colleges because all of the data is based on past data and you don't need to worry about it. Yeah. So I mean, one of the questions that we get is I think there are multiple 
there are multiple, obviously, I think the, the FAFSA has a lot of questions, right? So it's overwhelming. Um, the, the income and tax data is all based on prior year. Okay. So the, you know, whenever you fill your, you know, if it's, if it's, if we're talking about 2020, then you're using your 2019 tax information. Is that correct? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And now, now what about the financial information as far as assets, right? Cause obviously there's an, there's going to be an income component and then there's also going to be an asset component. Is that what, you know, what is, when should that be dated? Yes, the great question too. Yeah, so again, the income is based on that that tax year that's appropriate, and then your assets. Your you put in the value of your assets at the on the day that you sign the form, on the day that you submit the form. That's what your asset calculation should be. Okay. Okay. Yeah, because we get that we get that phone call yes. uh, on a regular basis that we're we we're filling out the FAFSA and we need our information. So just you and, know, and just I brief- should add because you said uh, you know I wanted to just clarify this that yes you can do these financial aid forms before you ever submit an application um, to a college because it can happen simultaneously. But on the financial aid forms, you do need to pick one school that the forms can be sent to. So you just have to. So I'm talking have- about- have one of those, just pick a school to submit the forms and then you can add schools later. Okay. All right. Hang on. I'm going to. Yeah. All right. Sorry about that. (laughs) Cindy, can you try to turn off the speaker in here? Is that possible? No, this the speaker does not turn off. Wow. All right. Just checking. All right. Yeah. Cause I'm, uh, anyway, so, uh, can just briefly on the, so because the, uh, the CSS profile, right. So everyone is going to fill out the FAFSA mm-hmm. on, I, is that, is that a true statement or, you know, if you know that you're okay, so do you have to fill them both out if you're going to also fill out the CSS profile? Yes. Okay. Yes. We so should mention every this. school requires the FAFSA and then the, yeah. some require the additional CSS profile. The CSS profile is more for, it's, it's more for elite schools, right? I don't know if there's a specific definition for it, uh, but, you know, I think it's for the most, you know, if you think of Ivy League schools and, and uh, schools that are up in that area, then I think uh, that's what the CSS profile is. So certainly not everyone needs to fill it out. And do, do you advise folks to do a little research on whether or not you have to <laughs> before filling it out? I, I assume it's similar to the FAFSA where you, it's not, it's not a, it's no picnic, right? Right. In fact, it's less, uh, to be honest, I, the FAFSA, you know, everyone's a, afraid of any kind of you know, all these financial forms, right? I mean, same kind of with taxes and all, but the yeah. FAFSA has become much easier um, over the last number of years. Every year it gets a little easier. So the FAFSA is really not too bad anymore. Uh, the CSS profile is still still feels like a bear. They seem to ask the same questions three different ways, and okay. so um, yeah, so so that is no picnic. But <laughs> um, but what I'd say, I I forget, I lost my train of thought there. But yeah, they, you know, you need to set aside a little time. The FAFSA actually, uh, because one of the things that's really nice is you can literally, for most families, press a button and bring in. You go to this IRS data retrieval tool and bring in your tax return from that. 2019 year. Oh, wow. That that makes it very quick to fill out. Whereas the CSS profile, uh, again, takes a little bit, takes a little bit longer. Uh, But there is help all the way on every question has a little help button. And I guess I'd I'd go further to say there is all kinds of free help out there. So you can call the financial aid offices at the schools, you can call us. Oh, and I know your question you asked me, you can just um, go to the college website and go to the section that is, you know, financial aid for incoming students, and it will tell you what's required. And that that way, you'll be able to tell whether you need the CSS profile for that school. And if you need it for one school, you have to complete it. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Um, yeah, let's, when we get into the financial aid piece of this, I mean, I know that's going to be fairly detailed. Do you want to talk about, uh, I guess, yeah, we, we probably need to get there. I, mean, I, I know you have award letters and all of a sudden, you know, getting the, getting the child through the whole process, you know, where, where do you want to jump to next? Do you want to go into the financial aid piece and talk about the EFC and all that fun stuff? Because that I assume yeah. that comes out of the FAFSA process. Exactly. Is that the logical? Yeah. Maybe I'm avoiding it because it's so complicated. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Can we put it off? <laughs> like what, like I'll, your family. I'll try to make say. it quick too. Yeah. And, and just so basically, yes, when you're completing these forms, yeah, that, which will collect things like your income, your assets, the number of people in your family, uh, the number of students you have who are going to be in college 
during the same year, uh, all of that. Um, the number that that pops out at the end is your expected family contribution. So that's a number that the colleges will look at and say, okay, this is what we expect this family can pay toward college expenses before we start giving financial aid to fill in the gap. And that number can be zero. So what that might mean on a, a family, a family might have just enough income and assets to be living with the number of students in their family and the number of students in college that they really don't have a penny to be spending toward college. And so then yeah. they would have an expected family contribution of zero and a college would really try to give them the, the maximum financial aid. Uh, yep. for, for anyone who, that it, it isn't zero, I always say it's gonna feel like too much because it's not a number <laughs> that anyone thinks that you have sitting there ready to write a check. Yep. It's just sort of a number of you and your financial picture compared to all of the other families um, and not a number that they figure you have right there to write a check, but they figure you can absorb with savings, current income and loans yep. relative, you know, so that's why for anyone whose EFC is not zero a lot of us, it's, it's going to feel high. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, and just to be clear, so, you know, yeah. the expected family contribution, and I, I actually have a calculator. There's lots of them available just online. Um, but what, you know, what the colleges are trying to figure out is what a family can afford to pay. Right. And so what's, you know, what they factor in is I have, so it's, it's a, it's a fairly complex calculation. Uh, you know, one of the websites I found had just what's called, it's called a quick EFC, right? So it's just the basics and it's not the exact number. Uh, I think, you know, you can find out your exact EFC contribution online if mm -hmm. you are able to go through and, and put all the, uh, you know, all the appropriate data in. But, you know, the one that I pulled up here, I just have it, it's, it's just an example uh, so we can hit the big points, right? So, you know, the, one of the factors is, um, you know, it asks for your state of residence. It asks for your household size, right? So the, you know, the number in your household and also the number of, uh, number of students in college is going to affect your EFC, right? So a, a, a family with one child in college will be expected to pay more than a family with two or three children in college. Is that, is that correct? Right, right. Because if they figure out, well, you can pay $20,000. Well, then if you have two in college, yeah. you can pay 10 and 10. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. And, and uh, so again, it's household size. Again, this is just a quick calculator. These are, this is not the exact numbers, but I will throw some numbers in here. Right. And let's just say we have a, a household of, let's say, let's say we have uh, two parents and five kids. We have five in our household and we have one student in college. They also ask for the age of the oldest parent. Can you just explain why they asked for that in the calculation? Yeah, because they, they assume that as a parent nears retirement, um, they get a, a little bit uh, larger of an allowance against. Okay. You know, against the, yeah. That's right. Because they don't, you know, if you, if you've, if you had a kiddo late in life and you're paying for college at age 65, the assumption is that, you know, that parent gets a little bit more leniency with regard to how much they should be, uh, you know, they should pay. Okay. Um, I, I always joke with parents when they ask about that question. Well, see, older is better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know about when the kid is, uh, is young, but yeah, certainly when it comes to applying for college. Yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, anyway, so yeah. So age of the oldest parent, uh, adjust to gross income. And, and again, you, you referenced this earlier in the show. And I, I, is it safe to say that maybe the largest factor in your EFC, the expected family contribution, is the income of the parents, parent absolutely. or parents? Yes, absolutely. That is the biggest factor. Right. And we, which is, you know, one of the reasons why, you know, why uh, we and you tell, you know, uh, tell prospective college, you know, college payers that you want to be saving, right? Because especially, you know, you know, even if you're lower income when your child is one year old, right? As you age, people tend to make more money as they get older. And, you know, the, the age at which you pay for college tends to 
cor- uh, you know, tends to correlate pretty closely with, you know, sort of peak earning years uh, if you look at, you know, kind of the, the, the scope of a career. And so even if you're not all that high income when the chill, you know, when, when your kids are, are very, very young, there's no, uh, there's no reason that you necessarily are going to stay in that bracket. Uh, and so, you know, maybe you're making, you know, your family income could be $100,000 a year when you have that first kid. But by the time they hit college, you know, maybe your, maybe your adjusted gross income is $250,000 a year in in which case the uh, you know the colleges are going to look at that and say hey they have they have plenty of money uh, and they'll uh, you know so we're gonna we're gonna make them pay more is that oh, am I okay saying that yes yes okay. uh, and, and you know it's one of those reasons too why we get a lot of questions someone will call and say I have you know this account with ten thousand dollars in it. Um, can I move it? What can I do with it? How can I hide it? And yep. I want to say to them, you know, don't before you go doing all of that and giving it away to your sister or whatever. I hear these crazy. Do that EFC calculator. Let's yep. see what what you're expected to pay. And is that going to make a difference at all? And honestly, most of the time over my many years doing this, these these little bits of savings that people are trying to move around will make zero difference in in uh, in the overall calculation because income is that biggest factor. Right. And that, again, great, great segue into your, into the next question, which is, you know, which is parent savings. And yeah, we'll have that conversation on a regular basis as well, right? Oh, you know, I have, you know, my kiddo is coming up on college next year and we have a bunch of money. Um, you know, maybe we have money in our savings account, right? Cause they're, if they've listened to their financial advisor for all these years, they have, you know, they have their, they have their rainy day fund and, and we get the question, well, well, should I uh, do something with this money? Because if I, if I, if I get rid of it effectively from my, from the point of view of the colleges, then my expected family contribution will go down and, I'm, and I may get more financial aid. And again, you have to remember that they're only looking at 5.6% of that number, right? So the a parental asset is only counted. They're only assuming they want 5.6%. So if we're talking about 10 grand, you're talking about a difference of $560, which, which again, that that may help a little bit, but I don't think it's as helpful as having an extra ten thousand dollars laying around, right? Absolutely, you you said exactly <laughs> yeah. what I would say. Absolutely, yes. So yeah, we'll 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 keep we'll keep repeating that you need to save save for yeah. college, <laughs> and having money is better than not having money. Uh, okay, so yeah, so they ask for your savings, they ask for your investments, um, you know. They do, you know, they do ask for the students. You know, a lot of students will uh, are not working during college years, high school and college, but there are certainly some that are, and it uh, they do factor in child earnings into the EFC calculation. Is that right? They do. Um, they, the students are able to earn about six thousand dollars or so, a little bit above that, before it gets factored in. Okay. So a majority of students who are uh, going to college full time probably don't hit that hit that mark. But the hard thing is, if students really need the money and are working more, um, that that can factor in to uh, the financial aid calculation. So if students are earning more than sixty two hundred dollars, yeah. it does start to factor in. Okay. Yeah. Uh, all right. And so, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think what I'll do is, you know, j- just for fun, I'll, I'll throw in an example calculation again to want to disclose for the, you know, for what, you know, maybe the 10th time here that this is not an actual calculation. Um, so I'll just throw in again, household size of five, one student in college, 55 year old parent. Uh, we'll use an adjusted gross income of let's use a lower, lower one on, uh, to start a hundred thousand dollars and we'll use not a lot of savings, right? Maybe you have $25,000 in your savings account and no investments and we'll give the student, uh, no savings either. So this is just be the example of, you know, what happens if I didn't really save for college, um, and I'm, you know, on the lower, you know, for a, for a joint household on the lower side of the income spectrum, the EFC based on that number was, you know, about six thousand dollars. I get sixty one forty eight, right? And so in this in this situation, you know, there, you know, the the 
folks who designed the formula are saying, okay, well, there's not a, there's not a ton of money for a five, you know, a hundred thousand dollars a year is not a ton of money for a five person household. And there are no savings from with us, you know, for, to grab. And so the EFC is a very low and very manageable, uh, $6,000. Now, can you just tell us what that means? Right. So if you, if you apply to college and you know, the, the price of the school, you know, tuition and fees are, let's say it's $30,000 and the EFC is 6,000. Well, what, what happens to that other 24? So then that means that the college would say, okay, this, so this student needs $24,000 in order to be able to attend here for the year. So then the college goes about trying to make a financial aid award that can either meet or come close to that. And the difference between that is colleges who quote unquote meet full need and colleges that don't meet full need. And the colleges that meet the full need for 100% of their students, uh, it's a small number. I think it's something between 50 and 60 nationwide. Okay. And it is mostly to use your word, uh, but it but it's a good one. It, it's mostly the uh, these elite schools or another way to say it colleges that financially are able to do that because they have those resources. So the yep. Ivy Leagues meet 100 percent full financial need of of their students. So in that case they would give the student a, a financial aid package of $24,000. Okay. Most of the other well, you know, colleges well, in the yeah, country. Let, let, me, let me cut you off right there. We, yeah, we're actually yeah, up yeah. against the 1030. We'll finish that on the other yeah. side. We'll be right back. Welcome back to McNamara on Money. My name is Justin McNamara, and we are talking about paying for college today uh, with Julie Shields' routine of MIFA. Uh, if you have any questions, we have about a half an hour left in the show. Anyone who has any questions, uh, please don't hesitate to give us a ring here. We're live in the Merrimack Valley today. Telephone number is 978 454 four nine eight zero live on december 5th i should mention that uh all right so let's get back is there anything else you want to follow up i, I know we, we cut you off there before the break uh what else should we cover on that topic before we move in we have a half an hour i, th- I think we, we certainly want to get to some student loan issues i know that that's probably a, a lot of what you deal with so uh, i don't want to skip over that but wh- you know what what else did you want to say before we move on here yeah i guess i'll just add a few things about award letters you know so the schools will all make make their financial aid awards to you as a family. And the thing that that a family will see is that they will receive very different aid packages back from, if you apply to six schools, you'll probably get six different award packages back just due to the resources that they have, their financial aid policies and um, all of that. So a a key moment in this process for a family is to really take a close look at those award letters and make sure they're comparing apples to apples. Look at that bottom line of what isn't covered by financial aid and what they're <laughs> yeah. going to have to come up with and spend. So I would say next to doing those applications, uh, the next or equally most important time is pouring over those financial aid awards to make sure that you can, that the school is affordable and, and a good option on the affordability side for both the student and the parent. And uh, MIFA also can help help you with all that. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, and I know that, you know, for, for, if you're lucky, then you're going to get, you know, you'll you'll get a a bunch of student aid and, you know, maybe, you know, maybe a lot of that comes in the form of grants or maybe subsidized loans, which we'll get into, but I mean, you, you can certainly, you know, there, there is an issue in this country of, of people taking out more than they can afford. Right. Again, especially on the lower income side, you know, we, we just ran, a, uh, you know, a a hypothetical EFC, right? Expected family contribution for, you know, sort of someone on the lower incomes uh, side of the spectrum with, without any savings. And the calculation says that they can only afford $6,000 per year. Well, if, if, you know, if you're at a, uh, you know, a private school that's charging 50, well, you know, you, you, and, and they're not going to meet all of that need in some way. And even if they do meet all that need, again, again, you know, if, if a school quote unquote meets the needs, 
does that necessarily mean that it's going to be free money or could it be loans, right? I mean, if the sticker price is $50,000 and you're expected to pay six, does that mean that you may walk out of there with with a, with a uh, you know a $44,000 per year loan to either the student and or the parent? Um, well, if they meet full need, yeah. no. Okay. But it, it could include the federal student loan, which was would mean that the student could walk out of there with some loan. Yep. And we'll we'll talk about that federal student loan in a moment. Yeah. But if they meet full need, then then most of the need will be covered, maybe with a small loan. Okay. But if they don't meet full need, which is most of the colleges, yeah. that's where the family really needs to make sure that the student and the family together aren't taking on debt that isn't appropriate for them. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, mean, I guess that's, a, that's probably a pretty good segue. Cause again, I don't want to skip over this a lot. You know, the, the, yeah. the college loan landscape is very, very difficult. I have some, you know, I get some, I, I want to ask you some big picture questions about the cost and value of college, but I'm not sure we'll get yeah. there. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, but yeah, let's talk about the different types of loans, right? You, you mentioned the federal student loans, which I think is, is, you know, I don't know if it's, it's probably people's best option, but again, you know, there are limits on what you can take out on an annual basis and it doesn't always cover all of a, of a client's needs of, sorry, client of a, of a student's needs. So why don't you, you know, just briefly explain those. And then once, you know, for in a situation where you need more than that, you know, what are your other options once you get there? Yeah. So we definitely recommend when it, that, that the federal student loan is the first one to borrow. Um, and the reason for that is, um, first of all, there's a fairly low interest rate. This year, it's 2.75 fixed. Oh, wow. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And it's just in the student's name. So here's an 18-year-old with no job, and they don't need a co-signer. So that, it, is, it is a special type of a loan. Yep. Um, the, the issue is that as a freshman, you can take $5,500 in this loan, 65 as a sophomore, 75 as a junior and a senior. So there are limits, which yep. is, is good uh, because someone <laughs> who takes um, the, the full federal loans, a student who takes those and graduates after four years, will have about $27,000 um, in loans, which translates into about a $300 payment on the regular repayment plan on the yep. other end. But this loan also has a choice of repayment plans. So let's say a student graduates with $27,000 worth of debt and then needs to take a job either because of their career that's lower paying at first, or they have to live somewhere where they have rent and they need a car and they can't make that $300 payment. They can also choose a different repayment plan, even in one that's uh, tied to their income and make their monthly payment manageable. So that's also a very good thing because it gives choices and options. Uh, so for that reason, um, and the fact, one more thing, part of this federal student loan could be subsidized. So there's the unsubsidized portion and the subsidized yep. portion. And that means the federal government pays the interest on the subsidized portion while they're in school, which is also a, a nice yeah, feature. That's, that's great. Yeah. So uh, all, yeah. for all of that, I'd say students take your federal student loans first. And I because of all the repayment options, as long as you stay on top of it, you really can't get in trouble uh, with with these loans as an undergrad. Right. Now, wh where things get tricky is and, that, that- Yeah, and you mean get in trouble by taking out too much de debt? Is that, <laughs> are you referring to that? Yeah, yeah. And that's what I mean, that, that they would take on too much and not be able to repay it. But again, yeah. because they have these repayment options on the other end, as long as they understand what they're doing and they know their options, yeah, I, I feel like they should be able to manage that. Uh, when things get tricky is that for a lot of these institutions, we talked about the cost, uh, that may not be enough, um, enough to uh, fill that gap. And so right. many times uh, families then need to borrow another loan on top of that to cover, to cover the costs. And I think parents can do that. Like, so there's a federal plus loan. Um, there's a MIFA has loans, as I mentioned. Uh, and there are other companies that have loans uh, that it would be the parent either being a co-signer with the student or the parent borrowing the loan for the student. And that's what the parent and student together really need to figure out to make, make sure that that's going to be affordable. Is it affordable for the parents to do that? 
And if the parent, if it's not, and the parents are hoping that the student will take that on, oh, make sure that that's going to be affordable for the student on the other end, on top of those federal student loans. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, so we spend a lot of time on, you know, on, on how much college is going to cost. The one of the things that we that we talk about a lot, and you hear a lot about, is the is the many different types of repayment plans on the federal loans, right? I think I think there are, are there are as many as ten potentially different options that you can choose, right? You can choose like a standard loan where you right. just pay it back like it's a mortgage, uh, but then there are multiple uh, multiple versions of sort of income based repayments and escalating payments. Um, you know, j- just to be clear, those are only available on the federal student loan side, uh, and you know, I, I think they're you know they're they're terrific, and just one of the things that you know to watch out for. The current rates on on the current federal loans are fairly low, but you know if if you go in going backwards, you know the rates were not quite mm-hmm. as good, and so you know a lot of folks uh, have been sort of you know faced with well, do I refinance these federal loans? You know, just just be careful uh, refinancing federal loans. I mean, you can I know that I, I believe you can consolidate your federal loans, correct, and you can you know put you know sort of smush them all into one payment, and then select a repayment option that works well for you. Um, I just want to be, be very, very clear. It, it's, it's a little, it can be overwhelming, you know, a lot like the FAFSA, right? Uh, because you have to wade through 10 different options and, and they're, you know, it's not exactly easy to do that, but uh, just be careful before you refi uh, away from the, you know, out, out and pay off those federal loans and trade it in for a private loan because then you're, you know, you, you lose some flexibility. You may get a better interest rate in theory, but um, that may not be the only story. Is that, is that accurate? anything to add there? No, that is accurate. In fact, MIFA has a, a refinance loan um, and it's great. But but the first thing we say yeah. when we're talking with students is just before, you know, you can refinance private and federal loans into it. But we always give that caveat of you really want to look back and make sure that you don't lose any of your federal benefits if you would bring those in. Yes. Okay. I agree. Okay, so yeah, you know, so you've exhausted your. I think you know the average person, the average student going to college. You know, if you're if you're at fifty five hundred for the first year, sixty five and seventy five, I, I would say it's probably a fairly common occurrence that you're taking a loan over and above that. Is that you know? Do, do you have numbers on? I mean, not, not the exact, but you know, do do fifty percent of students take loans out over and above the federal student? Well, it's funny because actually the national uh, average these days is still about 30. Oh, it is? Okay. Yeah, but that's because, of course, you know, first of all, uh, colleges in other parts of the country aren't as expensive around (laughs) here. We have unique problems around here, yeah. Right. And many colleges go, uh, students go to community colleges and and public institutions in state, which might be super. So nationally, we still are around that $30,000 number. Uh, but so I, I can't really give you a percentage except to say okay. that, yes, I work with many families who, um, you know, have their savings, they applied for financial aid, uh, and st- they still need additional financing over and above the federal loans to pay, to pay okay. the college costs. Yeah. yeah and, and so your options are, you know, so I, I believe, you know, obviously you said that MIFA off, offers loans, uh, some colleges will offer their own loans, I believe. Uh, and, and then you can also, there's also the private market. Do you have any guidance for folks out there about, you know, what should be the logical next step is, you know, is, is there a, is there a quote unquote best next option or is it going to depend on your situation and, and the options is probably, it, it, the answer is always, it depends, but yeah. Well, <laughs> what advice can you give families after they've exhausted that first federal loan and they need some more money? Yeah. So then I would say as they would, if they were going to get a mortgage or anything like that they should do their research, right? Yeah. And they wanna find the best loan that suits their situation. So I do always, of course, you know, I work for MIFA, but I also feel really lucky because MIFA yeah. has great loans, great interest rates. So I always tell people to look at MIFA um, and okay. MIFA has a great calculator where they can put in the amount they need. And then it will show all, there are different options for loans, a 10 year, a 15 year, a start paying immediately, pay interest only, defer payment, you know, so all kinds of options like that. Okay. And then, and then they can see flat out how much each one is going to cost. Uh, so it's, it's a great calculator. And then no matter where they go to borrow and where their research takes them next, like to the federal government's plus loan is another okay. option that some families look at, or do they have a bank uh, that they do business with? And that bank happens to have 
an education loan. Take a look at that. But go back to that MIFA calculator and make sure that wherever you're looking and doing your research that you know what's the interest rate, yep. what's the repayment, um, yeah, all, all of those pieces. You know, who's paying it back? Who's the primary borrower? Who's the co-signer? Uh, take a look at all of that and um, and make a choice then that's best for your family. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't I don't know if you if you can or want to answer this question, but it, you know, when you hear about when you, when the discussion of student loans comes up in the media, it, it, there's generally a negative spin on it, right? And it's generally it's you know it's it almost seems like this you know there there's a predatory nature to it almost. Uh, again, I may be generalizing and maybe that's just the news that I listen to, but um, is there, does that reputation exist because there are, because some of the lenders out there are, are is, it, is it, I guess it's just the system that creates, you know, sort of a, a need and a want for, for people to borrow too much money or are there actually, uh, you know, entities out there that are that are taking advantage of people. And again, if you don't want to answer that, I'm okay. I don't, you know, you don't necessarily need to editorialize on stuff like this. But I just thought I'd ask the question because you do, I mean, you do hear this kind of, a, there's a very negative uh, spin on a lot of this discussion. So I just maybe would throw it out to you for your thoughts. Yeah, I guess what I'd say um, is that it's a little of everything, right? Because yeah. Yeah, nobody likes student loans. But I, I think one of one of the things that might cause some of all of that is that it's it's complicated. You know, there are, there are federal loans, there are private yeah. loans. Yeah. Then there are all these repayment options, and then there are choices, and so it, it's a lot to digest. And so I think it's easy sometimes for a family or a student to not really know what they're getting into. Yeah. Um, but I do know that colleges try to do their best to make sure that students understand that they know what they're taking in federal loans, they know what they're signing. Um, and private lenders, you know, I, I can only speak for MIFA, uh, but yeah. I know we do our best as well to make sure that we're super transparent and to make sure that, that students understand all of that and families understand all of that. Um, so, but, but it's but it's an effort. It's really always an effort, and um, and then college does. I guess I won't editorialize too much, but college does <laughs> get complicated in that, you know, families want to do the best for their kids, and so they want to do whatever it takes yeah. uh, to have their kids go to college. And so I, I think it's just on the family's part. It's really important upfront to uh, to help your student make make a good decision around this and and try not there are so many wonderful colleges so many wonderful programs options to get you to your same goal so having those type of discussions before you decide on a college and you borrow a loan um, i think i think are really helpful um, so really this mind mindful making yeah. a really mindful choice yeah, I mean, is helpful. yeah it's, it's such a difficult one too because you know a it's it's so complex, right? I mean, the, the discussion of whether or not college is quote unquote worth it, right? I mean, should I go to that state school or should I go to the private school that may have, a, you know, a, you know, a more, uh, you know, a nicer name, right? Oh, I went to this college versus that college. You know, is that really, is that really worth it? You know, I, I don't think there's any research that at least I've been able to find where it says, oh yeah, you know what you should do? You should definitely go to an Ivy League school and you should take out all those loans because it's certainly worth it, right? It's, it's, that's just, it's so nebulous and it would be hard to research. And then, you know, you add that to the fact that kids are young, right? And, the, and you know, it's not part of, you know, finance is, you know, not part of a regular curriculum, you know, kids generally aren't paying their own bills and they don't have their own expenses. And so when you throw out a number, oh, you know, it's going to be $500 a month versus $1,000 a month versus $1,500 a month, that doesn't mean a whole heck of a lot to them because it's just not something that they've had any real experience with. And so it's, it's just such a difficult decision for a, for a kid to make. And then, you, you know, on top of that, you have parents who want the best for their kids and, and, you know, want them to be able to make their own decisions and follow their dreams. It just, it gets so, so difficult. I don't, I don't know. Do you, does MIFA attempt at least to, uh, I assume you've tr you try to facilitate those discussions, but how, you know, do you have programs on your website on, you know, talking about the value of college versus <laughs> just, you know, what the actual cost is? You know, we, we, we actually do. I did a webinar recently with two UMass professors, one at UMass Boston, one at UMass uh, Amherst, okay. where they really talked about 
doing all of that research because you can find, and I mean, it was kind of a COVID related uh, webinar okay. saying, okay, here you are. You can't be visiting these campuses. Yeah. How can you find out some good detail. And uh, it's, so it's a great webinar and there, there are supporting materials all about all this information you can find out about colleges um, up, up front, you know? And so if you're trying to make that decision between two colleges and there's a cost differential, what's that going to get you? And so then you want to look at things like that colleges post about average starting salaries and the yeah. number of their students who are employed, you know, within six months in, in their right. field within six months of graduation and uh, all those finer points. And you can really, in doing that research and spending some time, you can find out, find out a lot. Okay. And uh, so we, we try to encourage that. And the other thing we try to encourage, uh, we have, I, I, I don't think I've mentioned this yet, is we have a free student uh, portal called mifapathway.org. And many school systems use that, but anyone can go in and create an account. It's free. And what that tries to do is reach students early to have them just start thinking about their, what do they like? What do they enjoy? Yeah. What kind of careers might match to that? what classes they would take, what what programs would get you to that. Just to begin having those discussions so that students at an early age and then through high school kind of craft their own path. And they don't just say, my cousin went to this school, I have to go to this school. Um, you, you know, that they have a, a, a much more information about themselves and their career and what they might like to do. So that helps in the choice as well. Um, and that way, Maybe it's the opposite. Maybe then they say, oh, I could do this community college route, transfer yeah. to a one of the state colleges and university and really have some significant savings there, which there is through the mass transfer program. And then, wow, still I can meet my goal that way and then go to graduate school, you know, so that they're just it's hard for an 18 year old, but we, yeah. we, we, we're trying to get them thinking along the ways about those things. Yeah, I think there's <laughs> I think there's more and more thought that goes into that. I mean, I mean, it you know, I think you can sort of forgive society that it, it wasn't really taught up until this point because college wasn't that expensive, right? I mean, if you go back a couple, you know, a generation or two, you could, you know, you could put yourself through college working in the summer, but now that it's so expensive and, you know, the risk of being wrong, I think is, is now so high, right? I mean, if you, if you go to an elite school and you take out, you know, a hundred thousand dollars in loans and you don't end up with a job that allows you to pay it back, you can get yourself in serious financial trouble. So I'm glad to hear that, you know, that you and, and so many others, uh, are uh, are kind of working on this problem although you know you know full disclosure it's 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 always going to be difficult because it's just such a hard time to you know to make decisions about the rest of your life right 17 18 years old is uh you're still very very young so we just do that do the best we can right uh all right so we have about uh looks like we got about seven minutes or so left is there anything that you wanted to cover that we did not i have you know i have a few other questions i'll go over a few you know talk about a few more things, but I don't want to let you off. I know that, you know, this is your job here is educating the public. So I, I would like to at least uh, offer it up to you. What what else on your agenda, if anything, would you like to cover? You know, I'm just going to add one thing that fits right into that discussion we were just saying, because I don't know if I said it in exactly these words, but when I'm talking to a student who's a junior and a senior in high school and their parents, one of the biggest financial pieces of advice I give that doesn't sound like it's financial at all is just to create a college list and apply to a number of colleges uh, that are varied. Okay. So that, you know, don't, don't get, I always say, don't fall in love with one school, either parent or student, because that could cause you to make a bad financial decision. You know, you, okay. you could let your emotions get ahead of you. Instead, apply to a number of colleges, all of them that where you could see yourself, you could see they could have you meet your goals that you would like where you would like to be, which might take a little extra effort to find what are those six yeah. colleges. Uh, but doing that then I think gives you more choices in the spring of senior year when you have to make that decision and you don't just have that exact feeling of, wow, I got into my dream school. We're going to make this happen regardless of, of finances. So okay. that would be, that would be my other piece of advice. Okay. Yeah. And, and just where, where are we on the calendar now? I know, you know, you were kind enough to forward over, you have a little timeline here. So it looks like, I don't know if we've, you know, 
here it is December. Are we still doing college applications or is it, is it too late now if you if you wanted to say add to your list of schools? Are we uh, is that too late or when when is it? I know I think schools mostly have different application deadlines, but are we uh, is it too late for anyone to take that advice right now? Uh, it's not too late. Um, okay. In fact, the regular decision deadlines, you know, will be in, in January, February, March. So it's not too late at all. And in fact, in this year of coronavirus, <laughs> uh, everything seems a little delayed. Everyone okay. is a little bit behind. So plenty of time to uh, to apply to college and apply for financial aid right now. Okay. All right. Wonderful. All right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I just wanted to go back. I know we, we, we sort of gave it short shrift. And so I, I did want to mention, uh, you know, I want to go back to my EFC calculator. I know you can't see this, but it's up on my screen. Um, and it, it's, it's to the point which I, I think we started with and we should end with that, you know, where you should save uh, for college. Right. Um, I mentioned that our original example was a family with, uh, with a, you know, with five kids, I'm, I'm sorry, five person family, one in college and a hundred thousand dollars per year in family income. If we bump that up and that was a, you know, a $6,000 EFC or expected family contribution, I'm just going to bump that up and we'll use sort of an upper, upper income or sort of upper middle income example just to, uh, you know, just, just to draw the distinction of, you know, of, of not planning on, I, I, again, the, 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 I'm sorry, I'm stepping over my words here. It's been a long two hours, I guess. I'm taking in a lot of information here. I just want people to, uh, to know that, you know, they maybe don't want to rely on financial aid because they may not get it. So if you are in a fortunate position where you, you know, you have a good income and you have been able to save some money, say for retirement and, and even outside of retirement, if you, if you're in that situation, you're going to be expected to pay more from the point of view of, of the colleges, right? So remember that, uh, that EFC that we did of $6,000, if I use a gross income of $250,000 as opposed to $100,000 and I add some money in, let's say it's $100,000 in savings and we'll even add, you know, you did a UTMA account and, and the kid has $25,000. All of a sudden your expected family contribution goes up to $51,000 per year. And, you know, that's an awfully big difference. And so, you know, now you're in a situation where you you know you're you're expected to come up with a bunch more money and your student you know your your sort of financial aid picture is maybe not what you were anticipating and you're you know you're potentially in a bad situation is it did i say that okay you did and i think that's a, a good encouragement to save and one one note that I'll, is a high note that i'll end on too is that yeah. um, your retirement savings are not counted in this financial aid formula right that's so right. that's yep. a great piece of uh, just to, just good for families to know that they they should still be they can still be doing that and, and that's not going to tie in here either. That's right. Yeah, um, you, you, you please please max out your four hundred one ks or put as much yeah. as you can in. That is not. Yeah, when, when I said one hundred thousand dollars in savings, that was specifically you know yes. sort of af, in, in an after tax in a joint account, uh, and that number would be sort you know would be looked at as potentially paying. But yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, I think a real issue is you know. Uh, you know, th this calculation will be run for sort of high, you know, middle to upper income folks. And if, if you're expected to pay $51,000 a year and may, you know, maybe your cash flow doesn't allow for that, you know, you end up in, in a situation where you're looking potentially for, you know, you're, you're going to go out shopping around for a bunch of loans mm -hmm. and because the school is not going to come to your rescue. Uh, and I think it's maybe a particular issue for folks in our area where, you know, where a higher income doesn't necessarily go as far, right? I mean, you know, in New England and in our area, uh, I think those are national calculations and they don't factor in things like cost of living. Is that accurate? Right, right. Yeah. Absolutely. So it's it's not it's so it's not easy. Anyways, uh, we are just about out of time. So I want to thank you very much, uh, Julie Shields, Regina from MIFA. Thank you know thanks to you today and and all the folks from MIFA. Uh, again, you're at mifa.org, uh, and yes. there are a bunch of research uh, resources there which you've already mentioned. So uh, I we really do appreciate it and uh, have a wonderful. I don't know exactly where you are because we're zooming right now, but have a have a have a potentially rainy or snowy day. <laughs> Thank you, Justin. All right. Take care, everybody. We'll